She founded the Womb Center Healing Temple in 2018 as a collaborative space to support people of all genders to learn about the importance of our experiences in and of the womb, heal the wounds inflicted on all of us by the womb abuse and suppression of patriarchy, and reclaim the power of the traditions of womb reverence that predate the patriarchal system. Out of her own personal journey healing from early childhood trauma founded in the domination model of relationship between men and women, she has emerged with a passionate devotion to remember, reactivate, and reestablish womb power as our center of personal power and inner guidance. She loves to share her experience of how living in embodied womb wisdom creates an abundant fountain of vitality that can nourish our dreams of correcting the course of humanity away from self-destruction, towards harmonious communion and belonging in the ecology of life. Firecrackers, please welcome Sama Morningstar. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Sama, I have to ask you, I mean, I love your name, Morningstar. Where did that come from? Well, uh, it actually came from, I was working with a spiritual healer for a period of time, and we were looking at the power that our names have. You know, every time someone says your name, it's a, a certain vibration, there's symbology in our names. And, um, you know, my, my name Sama came from a prior spiritual healer that I was working with, and all the change and growth that I had undergone. And it was a suggestion at a certain point to change my name to have something to grow into instead of being reminded of all of the stuff that I had grown out of from my childhood to to be reminded every time I said my name or someone said my name of something to grow into so then when this uh, other spiritual healer um, we were working with that we were playing with that and I wanted something that had something to do with light and at one point someone said morning star and that just really clicked because of some of my um, Mexican heritage and the symbology of the morning star in some of the mythologies that I cherish. Um, so that's where that comes from. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I really want to hear how did you get into that spiritual journey? Because it sounds like you've been doing it for a long time. So I'm interested to know what sparked your curiosity to go down that path. You know, that's a really good question. I don't know what came first, my mother's interest in the spiritual journey or mine. What she tells me is that when she was pregnant with me, she picked up a copy of the autobiography of a yogi from a used bookstore and couldn't put it down. And we kind of joke around that I was influencing her from the womb. But it's not really a joke given what I've learned now uh, about the more as I've, um, you know, gotten into my womb-centered healing work about the influence of the spirit of the 
of the child coming into the womb of the mother and what a deep relationship that is and what a deep communion and communication that can be that my spirit uh, very well was influencing her because then, you know, I've been a yoga practitioner even before I knew I was doing that, (laughs) you know, and then all of these things that lined up in my life to bring me in contact with just the yoga instructors that I needed to be studying with all along the way. So, so that kind of answers your question. And then my mom, of course, and I were on a spiritual journey together from, from the get go. Um, And I explored things that she was interested in. And then she's more recently exploring things that I'm interested in. So we've been hand in hand since, since I was in my mother's womb on that journey. That's beautiful. I mean, it is, it is quite a story because I think I personally, for example, my own personal um, spiritual journey has been by myself. I've been doing it all alone and, you know, having somebody that you care about, somebody who's so close to you, uh, also expanding on that realm. Mm. I think it's absolutely beautiful. So you just mentioned you do healing that is womb-centered. Yes. Um, And I want to know a little bit more about that. Not only what it is, but also why do you do it? Why is that important for any woman? Both of those, both aspects of that question go back to the same experience of being in my mother's womb and the circumstances around that. Now, I didn't really learn that until later when I, you know, started examining the importance of those experiences. Um, but it's that's still true, even though I wasn't necessarily aware of that then. <laughs> um, or maybe I was, but I don't remember that <laughs> because we don't necessarily have conscious memories of that. But my mom was a teenager. She was 17 years old. She didn't have any awareness of her fertility. She, When she first started menstruating at the age of 10, she had no idea what was happening. She thought she was going to die. Wow. And it was deeply traumatizing for her. And, you know, that's on top of the complexities of her relationship with my grandmother. And then when she had no awareness of her fertility and was just piecing it together, uh, you know, when she had her first boyfriend and they were fooling around as young people do, and she started wondering what was going on. And when she asked my biological father what they would do if she got pregnant, he said, oh, that would be your problem. Yikes. And this is not that uncommon. I mean, yeah. young men are not are are taught even less about their fertility and their responsibility in fertility than young women are in our culture of shame around sexuality. Yeah. And so my mom, however, was because of I think this bond between us and her desire to have children even then, you know, she just knew her her part of her a big part of her purpose was to be a mom she kept her pregnancy a secret first of all she dumped my dad immediately (laughs) right after she found out she was pregnant well she didn't know yet but she as soon as he said that would be your problem she was so offended by that and rightly so that she said well it's over between us and then she came to find out that she was already pregnant and she kept that a secret and and hid her pregnancy for as long as she possibly could because she knew that 
if she if her uh, mom found out about that that she would take her to Mexico for an illegal abortion. This was in California in 1970 when abortions were illegal, and my mom wanted wanted to keep me. She didn't want to do that, and she knew that she wouldn't be able to to assert that with her mother. And so she kept it a secret. So all of these things created an interesting blueprint on my life. First of all, my mother's love was so profound that she was willing to, you know, do navigate all of that. And, you know, the, the shame and ostracization that, that took place being a, a young teenage mom, all of that, it didn't matter. She loved me. She was going to keep me and have me as her daughter. Okay. So knowing that kind of love is hugely impactful for my life. And second of all, this, it wasn't safe for me to even be here feeling this secrecy, this hiding is a huge blueprint. Yeah. Plus all the stress that my mom was, was undergoing during that pregnancy. Um, in my personal healing process, I've traced patterns, the patterns that I have struggled with the most persistent uh, difficult patterns in my life around intimacy, relationships, um, safety and security, you know, financially, and, you know, like my needs are going to be met, and whether or not I can, my, I can share my gifts with the world and be visible and all of these things, I can trace them all back to this original blueprint that was um, that, that the circumstances of my conception, gestation, and birth in my mother's womb uh, set in place. It, it you know, affects the circumstances in those early moments, deeply influence our DNA and how and what gets activated in our DNA when our very body and nervous system and everything is being formed in our mother's womb. It's taking in that information and modifying how we're developing. And so you know, in my quest for fulfillment in my life and need to overcome some of these difficult patterns around relationships, sexuality, um, prosperity, all of these things, I've traced it time and again, back to those early moments and back to the womb. And so I'm not, if I remember your question correctly, how did I get started with this? Uh, it was because I really only started um, naming this focus of my healing work after a lifetime journey of exploring holistic healing and spirituality and, and my own well-being and fulfillment. And every time, every modality that I would try, I would end up tracing it back to that time in my mother's womb. And I didn't, I didn't know that a womb that a that womb centered healing practitioners even existed, except that everybody was that I was working with or my own reflections would always trace it back to the womb. And then I finally, a couple of years ago, was receiving this inner guidance that the focus of my work needed to be about the womb and womb awakening mm -hmm. was the word that I got. And I started doing a search for womb awakening online to see if there was any other practitioners that were doing something called womb awakening. And I found um, some teachers that were calling their work and wrote the book called womb awakening that you can find on Amazon. And I studied and apprenticed with them for a period of time. 
And they were very much about everyone finding their own connection to inner guidance and their own soul purpose within the womb uh, and creating their own way of, of reclaiming these, these ancient wisdom teachings of womb-centered, womb-reverential uh, healing and human evolution and health and well-being and spirituality approaches. I've actually heard about it. I haven't actually studied it. I've heard about it. And some people have suggested that I look more into it because I've always had this issue with my feminine side. Mm -hmm. Um, I've only started getting in touch with my feminine side very recently. I've always been more on the masculine as in, you know, being assertive and being independent and speaking my own mind and just being everything that women are not supposed to be in this patriarchal world. Mm -hmm. So they did suggest it because, of course, the womb is that one organ that separates female bodies from male bodies, right? Like biologically speaking. And well, did yeah. you want to hear my insights about that? Was that a question? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, it wasn't really a question. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is to tell you a little bit about what my experience has been with that. But yes, I do have a question and it is. How do you feel about what I've been told about, you know, getting in touch with my feminine side and how that the womb or the work with the womb actually helps with it? There's a question underneath that question that I think is really important, which is, why is it that we're so out of touch with the part of us that has the power to create new life? And not in the sense of only just the power of creating a, a, a new human life. But that power is there to, of that intense power of creativity is there whether somebody's choosing to have a baby or not. And there's a, a lot of, you know, the work I do, I call it biomystical womb healing. Okay. So there's the biological side of what's going on in our bodies. And, and, you know, we can refer to the biology of the womb with the names of the organs, the uterus the ovaries, you know, and, and, and we can get to, into some technical terminology about the biology of the womb, and we can understand the functions of the biology of the womb, not only around the process of, of reproduction, but also in there's an ecology of the whole body and our overall health and well-being. And we can start to understand the menstrual cycle as uh, an important vital sign that tells us about our overall health and well-being. And our bodies, everyone's body, whether we have a womb or not, is are very much biologically um, oriented around prioritizing our ability to reproduce. This is just a biological fact about all living creatures, that our biology prioritizes our ability to reproduce. And Yet, in our society that is, has so much shame around sexuality and reproduction, especially the female side of it, because of this uh, patriarchal approach of, of valuing everything masculine and giving the power to dominate everything feminine to, the, to everything masculine. So it's a domination-based relationship between the masculine and the feminine. So everything masculine is valued and given given all the power 
the decision-making power, the agency, the sovereignty, and everything feminine is supposed to be in service to the masculine and is often shamed and denigrated and certainly not revered. And so this is why, as we're growing up in female bodies, we learn to do that in order to have any power in life. We either, we either try to become like the masculine people that seem to have all the power and agency and sovereignty so that we can be one of the dominators, or we learn to manipulate our role in our feminine to gain power or, you know, be, you know, have some of the power by association with the masculine people. And so for me, that's an imbalanced and unhealthy relationship dynamic. It requires one, per, one type of person to be less than and to have, you know, this dependency on another type of person. And it cre- it's the source of all, most of the suffering, all of the suffering, I would say, in our world is this relationship of domination over and power over and exploitation. And it, it radiates out to, to, you know, all areas of our lives and, and most communities, you know, there's, there's one type of masculine that is considered the dominant masculine person that has the right to dominate and control and manipulate and exploit everybody else. And this hierarchical approach, I, th- I feel, is the, the root of most of our suffering, all of our suffering and all of the inequity and um, difficulty that we have as a species. And, and you know, the domination of, hum- of the planet as well and the exploitation, exploitation, you know, the domination of saying that humans are dominant over other living beings and have the right to exploit and take from without giving back to and without nourishing and tending to the needs of the creatures and beings that humans are dominant over. And, and that's what has us in the environmental and climate crisis that we're in right now. So that whole attitude is the thing that we need to heal in relationship to our own bodies, because we've internalized that. And we've said all the things that are considered to be masculine and get us power in this world, like logical thinking, the, you know, the domination of the mind over the body and, you know, disregarding and minimizing the effects that our female reproductive organs have in our lives. And all of these things have us really suffering from a place of disconnection from our body and disconnection from the uh, tremendous power that's within us and disconnection from our very spirit and soul because the womb is also the portal through which the spirit and the soul comes into physical form. It's how a new soul comes into physical form. And that's not just when we have baby, that's also all the rest of the time, which is most of the time. And especially for those of us who've chosen not to have a baby. Our womb is the portal through which our inspiration comes into physical form. And if we're participating in this collective agreement to minimize, denigrate, be ashamed of, sweep under the rug, anything having to do with the womb, then we're minimizing our creative power. So I hope this is answering your question. 
Well, it does raise more questions. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's just a, a lot to unpack there. And I think, I mean, I agree with you in many, many things. Specifically, you know, how conditioned we've been. So there's a lot of things that we're conditioned um, to think or believe since we're born, just by, of course, societal rules and, you know, what they expect from us. And I, I absolutely believe that it's true that everything that is masculine is, is we learn how to like see that and, and say, oh, that's superior, you know, to anything that is feminine in, in the sense that we were just discussing. It, it's been challenging for me to try to heal that part of myself. I'm still working on that. I know that there's a lot about femininity and creativity. Of course, like you mentioned, not babies, but just creative, just creating things for this world that I want to do. So what would you recommend for me or somebody who's in my position to do to open up that, that creativity or to just kind of heal that relationship with the feminine so that we can expand our beings in the way they're supposed to be expanded. Well, I, I'm always telling people in, in my work, and this is what I do in my work is to, is to help people with this. And one of the main things that we look at is our relationship to the menstrual cycle. Many of us have been taught, we have been taught and indoctrinated to try to be uh, the same way and to feel the same way every single day. And that our productivity, our, our creativity is best if it can be consistent every single day and, and on this linear path. Okay. And if, uh, for example, our menstrual cycle has, has an influence on it, making us feel differently on any given day or making or even incapacitating us because that daily linear approach is actually quite disruptive to the menstrual cycle. And so then the, the menstrual cycle can become disruptive in return. <laughs> then it's blamed on this troublesome menstrual cycle and what can we do to stop it? In fact, more and more uh, menstruators are taking up, up on the offer from their gynecologists and medical doctors to get on the pill, not necessarily to prevent pregnancy, but to get rid of the menstrual symptoms. And we'll even go in for voluntary hysterectomies and things like that, even though there'd be other methods of healing whatever's going on, um, to just get rid of this nuisance of the menstrual cycle and the womb. And what I try to share with people and do share with people quite passionately <laughs> time and again is actually, if what we're trying to do is optimize our creativity and our productivity, then wouldn't it be a little bit smarter to look at the most productive and creative part of our bodies and start to study how it works and align ourselves with how it works? I mean, there is no other organ in our body that has the capacity to create an entire, entirely new human being. This is the most creative and productive organ in our body. There's a term for it where we can model our systems after nature. Instead of fighting the way nature works, what if we modeled our, syst our systems and the way we decided to do things after the brilliance, the miraculous uh, brilliance of the natural world and, uh, and how biology works? 
if we do that and we look at, okay, here we are, these, these cyclical beings and the menstrual cycle that is essential for this incredible power to an incredible creative power of creating new life. What does it do? It, it takes us through a, a monthly cycle of building up and nourishing and growing this richly nourishing nest, producing a seed or an egg that's ready to be fertilized, bringing in a, a creative partner to collaborate with and bring our unique gifts together to create something new. And then having a, a time either where that creation becomes something that goes into the dark and is nourished for a period of time, invisible. Or perhaps if that create creation, if that, you know, extra material from a creative partner doesn't come and we need to let go of that, that particular month's worth of building up and growth, then there's a letting go process and then there's a new building and that that can be tremendously creative on its own that cycle of building and letting go and building and letting go and all of the different feelings we might feel along the way including important periods of rest and non-productiveness yeah. and so when we start to attune to our menstrual cycles and organize our lives around that and include essential rest and rejuvenation and come into um, into phase with this our cyclical nature we start to notice that this just like the wheel the cyclical nature of the wheel lets us move and the cyclical nature of engines create generates all of this power for us to move around at tremendous speeds so does the cyclical nature of our menstrual cycle allow us allow our creativity to start to really take off and regenerate its own energy whereas if we stick to this daily feeling the same way linear approach the result for many female bodied people with that model is burnout complete energy depletion. And that's true for all of humanity that's, that's been indoctrinated to be constantly productive more and more and more, which is really a result of, you know, the wealthy elite wanting to train the general population to be the most productive for the highest profits for the wealthy elite, not really for the well-being and benefit of all of the, um, all of the people that they're wanting to exploit for, for their, you know, luxurious financial benefit. So just as an aside, um, so it's not real, nobody, everybody's burnt out about that, but particularly female bodied people that are trying to, you know, get to the top of the heap uh, with everyone else. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, and, really, and, and it doesn't regenerate life at all. It's actually, uh, it has the opposite effect. It uses it up and then it's over. Whereas if we modeled our systems after this life regenerative biological model that we have inside of our, in, in, our, in our menstrual cycles, uh, it would be much more um, regenerative and, and healthier for everyone. 
You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I find everything that you just told me fascinating. And so based on all of that, I am even more curious to know now, why did you choose to be child-free? That's a really great question. So I think at first, a lot of it came out of um, witnessing the difficult time that my mother had in her devotion to being a mother and the reverence that I have for her love, her unconditional motherly love and how poorly it was treated by everything all the circumstances of her life and all the people in her life and by society as a whole. And that has been so heartbreaking to me. And I didn't want to put myself in that same position. I think a lot of it was, you know, my early decisions around that were, were out of my own process of um, recognizing that that was deeply wounding for me. And there were, there's been generations of wounding around that in my family And, I, and collectively, where mothers are unappreciated, under, uncompensated, and just exploited around the world, and not supported, and just end up depleted, and, you know, having to produce some miraculous something out of nothing, time and again. That was nothing desirable to me. There was nothing desirable about that to me. And I never really had a big urge like many uh, female-bodied people do of to have a baby. And I, I was open to it, you know, as I was healing my relationship with sexuality and my ability for intimate relationship, uh, which we were all quite impaired uh, earlier on because of all of this, you know, witnessing and being part of my mother's life. Uh, throughout my upbringing and all the challenges that she had that she faced around all of those things um, and the dysfunctional relationship she had with my stepfather and all of that, it took me quite some time to even be able to have a healthy, long-term, intimate relationship, which was going to be the only situation in which, where I felt like I was fully supported by my partner And that it could be, uh, you know, the possibility of having a child would be with somebody who fully supported me. But by the time, by by the time I found a partner like that and felt like I might have even considered it, I was 42 years old, and my partner and I discussed it from time to time, and I never really had a very big desire, and I never really felt. It's only been now, as I'm turning 50, that I'm feeling like. Maybe I would feel supported enough, but but now it's like 2020. I mean, 2020. Yeah. Who wants to have a kid now? And I'm 50 <laughs> years old. You know, it's just it never really. Uh, I never had the desire enough to override um, all of the points against the proposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find that I don't know. I and I I've spoken to many childhood women, and we we. But there are so many reasons that we can think of not having them and just not having the urge, like you say, just not, you know, that strong urge that some female body people have sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's enough reason, but there's so many yeah. things that are going on in this world. 
And it's just, I mean, it's just like, why can somebody give me just one reason? I have a thousand reasons not to. I just, I need one reason. Right. I mean, then you can, then just not even to mention overpopulation and the climate crisis that we're in. Yeah. I, I would not want to bequeath the state of the world to any child of mine right yeah. now and and maybe i can see there's there's quite a few parents that i've been in contact with who feel this like there is a spirit that has a job here that is wanting to come through them okay and that i can see and i can feel the possibility of but i don't have that kind of a contract or agreement with any spirit i i don't feel any spirits knocking on my door saying hey you know i need you to provide me with this portal to get into the world. I don't feel that, yeah. but I totally feel, and I support many of my, my students and clients have felt that way that given, even given all the things that we just discussed about why not to have a child, they feel a strong urge to provide a portal to this powerful spirit that's coming through with the purpose. And we need those, those young people with that, you know, purpose to come through if we're going to survive. So I fully support. That's another reason why I do this work is to support those moms who are chronically under-supported to learn. And, and it's, it's a tremendously revolutionary thing to A, support moms in a high quality way and to B, uh, help moms to train their family members and their children in how to relate to them in a different way, in a way that gives back and fully nourishes and supports the mom instead of exploiting her. I mean, I, so, I think there's just a lot out there to support moms, though. I mean, I think it's really important as well because, I mean, just to circle back before I continue with my my thought, just to circle back a little bit, I have never heard anyone say that they want to give birth because they feel that a spiritual being needs the portal to come into this world. That's the first time I hear about that. And it doesn't go against my beliefs at all, but I don't, I've never felt it either. But it's just, I think it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting concept. And so I was saying, you know, some women that don't, they, the, the, whatever reason they have to have a child or they don't even think about it. They're just like, oh yeah, it's the next step. Mm-hmm. And they birth this being who's alive and this and and some of these people who become parents they don't have maybe the tools to be able to provide for that kid spiritually speaking mm-hmm. in in you know in the way that children should be tend to so having parents that are that um conscious I, 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 that would be my wish for every baby that's born in this world well you know when we look at where we are in this phase of human development, collective human development and evolution, we are at a hugely dysfunctional phase where, you know, our our ability to relate to each other and treat each other with kindness and our ability to harmoniously participate in an, an ecological system of living beings is so impaired right now. And we're all, everyone is um, living on top of generations worth of collective trauma 
both as perpetrators and victims of atrocities. So every parent right now is going to be offering their children a rich mixture of whatever strengths, gifts, and creative brilliance their ancestry has collected to survive amidst these atrocities, plus the, these generations worth of unresolved traumas that are going to at some point need to be addressed or else they're going to just be perpetuated. And so, you know, parents are going to have some healthy tools and some trauma perpetuating things that they offer their children and their children. That's why I say, and a lot of these these moms that I talk about that feel that their child was a spirit that was needing to be embodied and, and was, you know, had to deal with them to come through, they might not have been aware of that when they conceived their child. It might have only become later when they started to recognize that their child was here for a purpose and that their child had a very specific healing purpose for them personally. And I, I think that's that's part of what's going on is that, that um, I've certainly felt that, that my, part of my job and my purpose was to help heal my ancestral lineage and to help my mom mm-hmm. through what she's gone through and to heal from that. And so there's a... You know, the, the children who are being born now are bringing gifts from the spirit world to help humanity heal and evolve. And so there's there's a there's a reciprocity there. And it really meets my desire to see moms be nourished by their kids in a certain way. And to and there's this reciprocity of the descendants really giving back to the ancestors that has been missing in in our collective culture for quite some time. And speaking of ancestors, you mentioned you have Mexican heritage. Is that correct? Yes, by adoption. Oh, okay. So my adopted father, so after um, my biological father said that would be your problem, uh, (laughs) just (laughs) while my mom was still pregnant with me, she started dating my adopted father. And so he was there um, throughout my early childhood, one way or another. And then they got married and he adopted me when I was about five years old. And, you know, this is also what some of my mentors around ancestral healing have shared is that ancestry by adoption, especially, you know, when it starts early on like that is, is very real. It's, it's um, quite strong and powerful, just like blood lineage uh, as far as ancestry and these connections so there's a lot about that Mexican heritage that is very precious to me and uh, that's part of my healing process too is to connect with that and see what needs tending that's really interesting I I just I wanted to ask because Mexican uh, heritage is so rich yeah I mean so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, elements there that come to mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of what you told me during this interview that is just left for, I mean, for me, it's food for thought. There's a lot of questions raised, um, mm-hmm. a lot of things that I want to explore. So thank you very much again, Sama, for being here with me today. Well, thank you um, for having me. Before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to the interview? Anything at all? Well, I like to share uh, 
a practice with people that's just very simple that can help people start to connect with the the womb center and this is for anyone of any gender because you know what i wanted to mention earlier when you were talking about the womb being the thing that differentiated female bodied people from male bodied people the one organ that differentiates us what i want to say is that biologically when we first form in our mother's womb we all have the same organ we all have Uh, female genitalia. We all have a womb to begin with. And it's only at a certain point that a particular hormone comes in that for some people who have masculine chromosomes, that female organ starts to differentiate to have a longer clitoris in the form of a penis. And the womb becomes the prostate and, and the ovaries start to develop into testicles. So it's it, the the female version of the internal organs is the original version, and then the penis is what differentiates masculine bodies from the female body. And four percent of the natural biological population of all species has some hermaphroditic variation that happens. So there's actually eleven naturally occurring biological genders, and we don't know about them because. They're usually surgically altered at birth, often without even the permission or knowledge of the parents. parents, And so what I want to say about that is everyone has a womb space inside of them, regardless of gender. Okay. And it's the place uh, where we can connect directly with our divine self, our soul, our spirit, and where we can connect with that inner guidance. And a lot of people call it that gut feeling when you just know something needs to happen or not to go there or to go over here or to answer that phone call or don't answer that phone call. You know, we we talk about it as a gut feeling. Well, I call it, that's our womb knowing. And so I like to share a little practice for people to start to activate that more because more we recognize it, the more we consciously engage with it, the stronger that sense becomes. Did you have something to say about that? No, I just wanted to thank you for clarifying that because, I mean, I don't, like I said, I haven't studied and, you know, the biological side of, of the womb and I actually hadn't thought about how it develops for male bodies. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. And so the practices, I uh, like to to use a hand mudra, which is a, a hand position. Uh, mudra is a Sanskrit term that yoga practitioners use to to refer to hand positions or other kinds of body positions that have a particular energetic or symbolic uh, resonance to them. And so this hand mudra I call the womb mudra. And it's basically you put your thumbs together and your fingertips together, creating a downward facing triangle with your hands. And then you put your thumbs at your navel and your fingertips down at your pubic bone. And this creates a a portal into your womb space. And then you can take some deep breaths there, feeling each breath inflating your belly underneath your hands and then relaxing in your belly and shoulders and your neck and your face with each exhale. And just activating the sensing powers of your hands, the ability to feel what's happening under your hands. And also just bringing your awareness to this space in your belly 
and just asking your own belly for your own internal wisdom to show you how to connect with your own internal wisdom. Just noticing what comes up into your imagination, what thoughts come up, and all of that is valid. When we're connecting with the womb, there's a direct nerve connection from the womb space all the way to the brain. So usually it's the very first thought that you have. And the more that we practice this and breathe and connect and listen, I call it womb listening, the more it becomes integrated into our day-to-day life. So having a time where we set aside and actually put our hands there and say, I'm womb listening now is a great beginning to the practice. But then pretty soon we get to recognize that womb voice and that feeling of inner knowing that's super grounding and calming and peaceful because you know, so much of our stress and anxiety is about not having clear answers about what's happening and what's next and what we're supposed to do to respond to all this stuff. But when we connect with that inner knowing and what and the guidance of our spirit that resides there that can come through the womb portal, ah, we can just breathe a sigh of relief and and trust in our in our guidance little by little, more and more each day. Thank you so much for that. So if my firecrackers want to look you up, your website is samamorningstar.com, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to leave you, firecrackers, the link in the description of the episode below if you want to click and go and visit Sama's website. Do you have uh, social media as well? Are you present on social media? Yes, I'm on Facebook uh, mostly. Uh, You can find me at Sama Morningstar on Facebook. Uh And... um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm not as active there, um, but that that might be changing. I have some helpers that are going to help me with Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm Sama Morningstar there as well. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So thanks again for coming. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Cape community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.